Hello and welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town, a 2000 pop punk and emo pop retrospective. I am as always Elaine, and with me there are two other members of Blink 182. I'm Sybil Barker. And I'm Adam Delange. And those are the only two relevant ones. <laughs> Which would make me someone completely unrelated to Blink-182, because this is the No Mark Hoppus Club. <laughs> we're only allowed to have one Mark Hoppus. Duh! So yeah, we're talking about the, the Boxcar Racer today, which is the spin-off from Blink-182 that Tom DeLonge did, which is basically like 50 minutes of alien success. For every song, whenever I try to remember any song from this, my brain just goes, oh, remember Alien Sexist? That song from Anima of the State? Like, I know the song exists, but my brain, like, deleted it from my memory to protect me. So, so what you're saying is that your brain only reminds you that Aliens Exists exists? Ha. Huh. Yes. Comedy! Yay! You are so funny. Mm-hmm. I, like, I probably listened to the single from this record at some point, but I don't they don't remember it until now. Also, I might not have listened to that. Like, this sounds very much like Angel and Airwaves, and I hate Angel and Airwaves. And so, <sighs> this is not. I don't like this. <laughs> so bad. So I think this is going to be an album where the story around it is the most fascinating part. And we should point out this is not pop punk, but. It is so intertwined with a major pop-punk band in Blink-182 that it does get to appear on our list despite that. I don't know, like, some of it is sort of pop-punkish, but the best way to describe this record, again, is, like, basically most of the songs that Tom DeLonge wrote for Blink, like Alien Exist, which are the more melodic ones, backed up by harder instrumentation sometimes, and, um... They said they were inspired by, you know, Fugazi and other bands in the post-hardcore scene. <laughs> and yeah. look, it's not... I can see it. I can see it in some of the drum work, in some of the what the guitar is doing. It's not... It's not a Fugazi record, but there is that influence there. You know, but, yeah. the drums and the guitar are the part that I like. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds more like Blink than Fugazi. But it doesn't sound entirely like Blink. It does sound like Blink trying to do some more post-hardcore stuff. And I don't know. I mean, I fully thought that I Feel So was just, like, I didn't know that Boxcar Racer existed, and so I just thought that was a Blink-182 song. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. That is fair. They are... That is one of the criticisms that people have, that, that they just sound like Blink-182, but with darker lyrics... And it's not completely unfair criticism. I do think, like, 
they sound a bit harder. They sound like they're doing something more creative uh, with the instrumentation, but yeah. They do also sound like most of the Blink track that Tom DeLonge wrote, which is... Eh, your mileage may vary on that. So, how about we get into the story of this, because it's pretty much one of the biggest, weirdest things to come out of the San Diego SoCal music scene of that decade. Gather around, children. Let us regale you with a story. <laughs> Yeah, you did the research, you haven't provided us with a link to the notes, so I guess you're telling us a story, Sable. I I'm going to because this gets a little rambly since so much of this is stuff that happened in our local scene at the time. Um, again, Blink-182 came out of the San Diego and associated areas. They were major mainstays down here. And so... In 2001, they have just finished Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, and they have a European tour that gets cancelled because there's this big explosive event in New York. Just unforgettable. COVID? Yeah, that one. <laughs> and in the middle of this, DeLong is also, uh, no pun intended, on his back because he has a herniated disc pop-up from their American tour. So he gets on to painkillers that gave him, and I quote, neurosis-inducing side effects, and really just goes into a bad place in all this while he's alone and can't do much. So he starts writing what will be the beginning of Boxcar Racer. Now, I will be very fair to him. I could also probably come up with something that sounded underwhelming if I wrote 13 tracks on painkillers. But DeLong, you know, a lot of this comes out of him. Uh, there's some stuff from Hoppus that we'll talk about later. Travis Barker pretty much shut his mouth about this whole damn thing, and I think he was the smart one. So DeLong starts saying, yeah, no, I, it's, uh, there's this there's this sound that feels how I feel. This post-hardcore sound. And he claims Barker introduced him to it, but I don't know how true that is, given that all the acts he cites sound nothing like the music they made. The Violent Femmes, who are a local band that have a lot of angry lyrics and very punky, lo-fi sound. Fugazi, Rocket from the Crypt, another San Diego mainstay. None of them sound like this, other than maybe the fact that there's so much guitar on this record. It, I really should have brought along samples of a couple of them, because if I played them, you would end up going... This is what he was inspired by? Yeah, no. Again, listen to Fugazi. Fugazi is great for the listener. Just, if you have never listened to Fugazi, like, stop now and listen, like, the argument or something. Basically, the only Barker quote comes from his memoir in 2015. And he says, 
hey, you've been messing around with all this stuff. This is for the new Blink album, right? And he he's like, no, this is going to be a side project just while we're kind of stuck like this. And Barker just says he figured he talked to Hoppus about this. Uh, DeLong did not talk to Hoppus about this. So the starting of the SoCal Supergroup, which did not have a name at the time, kicks off with David Kennedy from the band Over My Dead Body getting brought in to be guitars, and Travis Barker comes along too because, and this is what DeLong says, Travis came along so we didn't have to pay a studio musician to do drums, and that was all. <laughs> now, well, there you go. On the one hand, sure, and two members of Blink-182 opened a lot of doors. MCA didn't give this a huge push, but they immediately greenlit it, gave them production, gave them studio time, because it's like, there's two-thirds of Blink-182, it's the middle of 2001, this is going to sell like hotcakes. Sure, let's do it. But this is also where a, and I don't know how much she was off the painkillers by the point of production, so maybe you can attribute some of the absolute dickishness in these quotes to that. Lines like, Blink-182 is like being a painter who only uses a single color. Or, Boxcar Racer is a project I'm taking on that lets me express myself without being locked into what Blink tracks have to sound like. Oh, God. Yeah! All of this is just, like... I'm gonna... We have, after the record, I have the real after effects of this, but... Boxcar Racer probably put a bullet in the original lineup of Blink-182. They break up in 2005. They'll reform later, obviously, but this record leads into the band splitting up because there's just so much bad blood. Justin related. I don't know if anyone knows this. Like, I, I watched, like, a video that was going through, like, the rock charts currently in America, and, like, it's interesting how, like, Travis Barker is in, like, half of the songs in the charts. Travis Barker nowadays is, like, everywhere, which is, I don't know, weird revival, but okay. I think he's dating a Kardashian right now, so, like, you know. Yeah, but a lot of this stuff, like, the, the Machine Gun Kelly record was before that, a lot of the stuff was before that, like, he did a song with Kenny Hoopla, which is, like, okay, that's not a pairing that I was expecting, but sure. You know, I gotta give it to the guy... It probably comes out of, like I said, that memoir in 2015. He didn't talk a lot of shit. He seemed pretty personable. And especially with Blink-182's resurgence, it probably brought him to a lot of folks' attention as, hey, yeah, maybe why not? Maybe it's because he's the one person who didn't think they wanted to sing. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. But uh, to finish this off, no matter how many talented people were involved in the record— Everyone admits and or blames the whole thing on DeLong. He wrote all of the material, and according to studio recollections, very little would be changed from the initial notes he brought in to when it was recorded. Like, all the lyrics stayed the same, very little experimentation was allowed. This was his baby. And it's an ugly baby, and that's a problem. Ah, uh, this is definitely the ugly baby of Blink-182. You should not have three daddies. A family can be three daddies. That's fine. Um, A baby should not be made of three daddies. 
Look, people have weird fetishes. It's fine. Three people in a in, in a baby suit. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, oh, right. <laughs> uh, I would wait to say that this is the ugly baby because I think the next Blink record is like very similar to this sound-wise. So who knows? This is definitely so far. Definitely worse than Damnet, definitely worse, definitely worse than, you know, Enema, definitely worse than... Anything. Yeah, let's talk. I don't hate this, to be honest, but I also don't like it. I think this feels like the skeleton of a record. This is a lot of tracks that did not have a lot of polish or criticism or second drafts applied to them. And so many of them feel incredibly empty. Uh, at least one of them sounds like two loops of the same half track, just repeated. Yeah, to me the problem is more, and we'll get there, I feel Tom DeLonge writes a single song throughout the record. Like, yeah, there are a couple of different things, but like the Tom DeLonge song is like that song. And it, and the only variations that are there are like on the instrumentation, but what Tom DeLonge does vocally is literally the same on every track, aside from the one minute weird thing. And yeah, that just breaks a lot of the tracks for me. But with that, I suppose we should get started with hit single, I Feel So. This had one of the two videos. This is the one with uh, children in trauma bedrooms while the band sings at an underground fight club. Mm-hmm. It's not that great of a video. No, uh, when I see the quotes about how MCA did not do a lot of marketing for this album, I totally understand it because both videos feel very, here's 20 bucks and a camera. They got their return, but I don't think they were sad when this band broke up. Both of the videos are pretty much the same thing. The band is playing in some, like, dingy locale. The band is playing in some dingy locale. And then there's, like, a really half-fast story going on in in, in between. And uh, I don't think they're interesting to talk about. No, they, they really aren't. I have a single line about each video, and that's it. Neither of them are Skater Boy, so... Yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> yeah. You're right. I still want to know what happened to Avril after the fucking helicopter beamed her up. Maybe we'll find out on her next record. She ate the helicopter and ran away. <laughs> she got three stars, crashed it, and ran into a garage. That's how she came out with a new hair job. My brain is now just thinking that the sequel to Skater Boy is just one of those The Darkness space videos. Ooh, yeah. The Darkness was an incredibly hammy band that I'm glad Stephen King turned me on to. I don't like them musically, but I think they had they had definitely interesting aesthetics that were entertaining to some point. Oh yeah, not amazing musicians, great entertainers. Uh, anyhow, I feel so. Um, this is, you know, when this starts, I'm like, this is not Fugazi, but I can hear the post-hardcore influence. Again, 
The guitar is a bit heavier, the drum is doing something different, it's not the usual pop-punk beats, most of it. And then Tom DeLonge voice enters the fold, and it's once again this nasal whine, and I've heard people being like, oh, I love Tom DeLonge melodic voice, it's beautiful, and I think those people are insane. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm gonna steal a quote from one of my partners who heard me playing this. How did he make new metal sound sniveling? <laughs> <laughs> so, I remember this song from when I was in a teenager. Um, 100% thought it was just, like, an emo Blink-182 song. Like, that's what it sounds like. Uh, Adam, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you were five when this came out. <laughs> yeah, and it still existed when I was a teenager. That is fair. Unlike Boxcar Racer and Blink-182. Unlike either of those, but yes, like, the the the, the songs that we are covering uh, will manage to stay in the minds of teenagers uh, 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 long enough for me to hear them. Boxcar Racer, capturing the imagination of multiple generations. Terrifying. It's just this song, though. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think I heard more of this album than either of you when it was contemporary, just because this got so much San Diego airplay. But yeah, that's still only four four tracks. Also, to be noted, this song opens with, like, very goth piano. And, like, I feel this this is the most goth-sounding song on the record, which is not saying much, because it doesn't not really sound like that but it does sound like again they're trying something darker they're trying something a bit more mature and they're sort of failing at it because as much as i enjoy some of the guitar work as much as i enjoy some of the drums fucking tom the launch vocal melodies are hell for my ears i hate them they like how it went from well i don't think this album is bad too this album is hell for my ears <laughs> no no I think Tom DeLonge is hell for my ears mm -hmm. if I just zone him out and focus on the, on the like, guitar and the drums, it's, uh, it's fine. Keep him in the corner with guitar and drums. <laughs> zone out Tom DeLonge. <laughs> Oops, timer ran out. No more Tom. That's him in the corner. <laughs> That's him in the spotlight. Uh, losing my Markopus? Ooh. <laughs> losing my Markopus. Yeah, this is, um, what was that divorce track on Blink's earlier album called? Um, Stay Together for the Kids? This is Stay Together for the Kids, but whiny. I feel this episode would be very repetitive, because, like, my main complaint with all of these tracks is fucking Tom DeLonge whiny voice. This episode is gonna be repetitive, because this album's really fucking repetitive. <laughs> That is fair. The second half will be a lot quicker, though, because those songs are very skeletal, like three lines of lyrics stretched out over two minutes. This really is a first draft record. Anyway, uh, there's something incredibly hilarious in hindsight about the chorus. I feel so cheap, so used unfaithful. Let's start over. Let's start over. Because it didn't work out that way. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, All Systems Go. More like all systems know.
With this name, I was expecting like, oh, now the like Fugazia energy will like kick in, but no. Nope. Uh, our system go is political, sort of. This is another, hey, government conspiracy track, but unlike Aliens Exist, this is 9-11 truthers. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did not look at the lyrics for this album at all. I just was like, you know what? Like, I'm not going to get anything out of it, I don't think. <laughs> um, yeah, Tom is saying that the... He said repeatedly that uh, 9-11 was a psychological attack to get us into the Middle East. And he thinks the government did it and will not answer questions about some of those loose change mysteries. So this this track and a few of the lyrics are pretty clear that, yeah, that's what this was about. Well, sucks to be him, I guess. Yeah, but apparently as of... Uh, the Trump years, he was still banging that drum, according to a few quotes I found. I don't know. Maybe he's maybe he's all better with Uncle Joe. Well, now he works with the CIA to spot aliens, so I don't know. Yeah, there's also that. Tom DeLonge seems like a very dumb man who could be used for anyone's purposes. And you can quote us on that, I guess. <laughs> you can definitely quote me. This was probably the most repetitive track for me because it feels like... He wrote half a song and looped it twice, especially with how the almost nothing but the chorus is here by the end of it. Just, we can't go wrong, can't get fucked this time, speak up now, lose or get left behind. It's, it's like a lot of repeated lyrics, and uh, I wish, you know, Tom DeLonge went full insanity with his lyrics, because really, we talked about, it's, yeah, it's 9-11 Truther, but the only really relevant line there is, like, the government is lying, and everything else is so generic. This makes me wish that he went full mask off insane on this record, because at least it would be entertaining in some way. I think that comes after he loses Blink-182. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that would have been particularly entertaining for me, though. <laughs> Fair. That is fair. <laughs> this song, just to me, without paying any attention to the lyrics, because fuck that, um, just sounds like the last song, but it's slower. And that's that's the only thing that I could squeeze from this bloodstone into the notes. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely trying new things. Like this song is sort of this contrast between like jangly like guitars and then you go into heavier stuff for the chorus. But I don't know, it doesn't have the punch of Blink-182. Like, Blink-182, even in the, like, more melodic tracks, had sort of, like, a punch to make those tracks work. And, you know, you had Hoppus, which was, like, a not unpleasant voice. This is just, like, all the worst bits of Blink-182 in terms of composition, in terms of, like, mel melody, in terms of, like, aesthetics, with Dumber lyrics... Which I don't, I don't even say that. I would say that, but I will take Blink-182 lyrics over most of these things every day of the week. They at least, like, have some meat to them, even if that meat sometimes is just, like, dumb shit. At least there's things that they're saying. And um, to be fair to the band, actually some interesting guitar work, some interesting drums that don't really come together because, again... 
as you mentioned this, I can really see this, that this does sound like a record where like the drummer and the guitar player didn't have much to say in the composition of the song, because there's interesting stuff that goes on with the guitars and the drums, but it doesn't feel like it comes together in the song composition. It's just sort of going on in the background while the song goes on. I'll talk about that on track three. <laughs> hmm. Uh... Also, I did quietly look into things in the background, just Googling Tom DeLonge QAnon, and apparently, as of uh, last year, he was against that sort of thing. So, alright, there's that. <laughs> I'm as shocked as you. Well, good for him. <laughs> yeah. Uh. A bare minimum. Yeah, he he doesn't seem to be anti-vaccine. He doesn't seem to be pro-QAnon. He talked about how the two were sort of being used to link New Agers and suck them into a cult. That's it. He has at least that much sense, which I didn't expect. (laughs) I have no reply to that, but that is a great fact. Uh, Uh, How about we watch the world? I watched the smoke another political song sort of how do we feel about the uh titling for these tracks so here's a fun fact the titles i get the sense were all just made up on the fly while they toured before this was recorded and released as an album these song titles were changing regularly on the set list huh yeah um Letters to God was listed on the set list as Maybe I Don't in a few shows. There's a couple of those people looked over from their debut performance before they really did a tour when everything was locked down. Huh. Alrighty then. Because I was like, they, they were pretty, um, I feel so, um, you know, there is, uh, like, like the songs, they lack meat. <laughs> Whenever I read the end with you, my brain always fills in the word end with you. And like, I'm just expecting like, cool Japanese like, hip hop. And instead I get whatever that song is. Um, This was a thing in local music reviews of the time. When they were playing prior to the album, a lot of people were talking about, yeah, it seems like anyone not in Blink-182 is just trying to hide on stage so they don't distract from the two people who are who have a career. <laughs> that's that's an actual sentiment quoted from a local review. Huh. Well then. Watch the world, and this is probably very apparent given everything we've talked about with the fact that this has weird political beliefs and so on, is where I first started getting uh, crypto simp ads on these videos. So boxcar racer fans seem like the type to throw their money in a fire pit. I'm sorry. What is it called? 
Oh, I said that boxcar racer fans seem like they're crypto simps for cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. Ah, okay. I thought that there was a new cryptocurrency called crypto simp, and I was like... No, no. Huh. All right. Look, you know... With, uh, if you're in the Findom scene, sometimes you need, you know, some private transactions and you need your own coin. Here's the thing. I will go off for a minute. If you are in the Findom scene, congrats. Just pay someone who uses something subtle on the credit card statement. If you're using Bitcoin for that, that's the equivalent of going, I want to be whipped and set a forest on fire. Fuck you and die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yeah. guess so. <laughs> I miss when Bitcoin was just sort of like a dorky thing for like... For Ron Paul types? Yeah. Yeah, and now we just realized, no, this thing yep. is actually like destroying our planet. <laughs> so thanks. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, But no, what's the word? Um, Is dump guy imagine, basically? Oh, that's such a good description for this. It's it's the structure of Imagine. It's like, oh, imagine all of these things that are good, curing cancer, uh, getting rid of the CIA, and it's just... Well, I'm, I'm not even that big of a fan of Imagine as a song, but it's just like, what if Imagine didn't try at all to be, like, poetic or, like, pleasant? And it's just like throwing up weird idea that Tom DeLonge had on the, like, toilet. This one definitely sounds like, what if Blink-182 did emo? Which it is, I guess. But it goes on for, like, three minutes too long. I feel this is the most disconnected track on the whole album. It's like every instrument was recorded apart, and then someone slapped them together on a timeline. Yeah, I can see that. The guitar just blows out the levels at different points. Yeah, this is also like one of the more understated tracks, which I think is where this record gets bad, because I don't really have any like cool heavy guitar to hang on, and it's just like, ah. Uh. Also, like, Tom DeLonge talks about getting rid of the CIA, which I don't think he would agree nowadays, given that his bad is with them. Well, no, it's cool. He's not working with the CIA. He's working with ex-CIA. Those are the guys who had a conscience. Totally. <laughs> Those were the guys that figured out they could make more money with by scamming from the launch. Yeah. Again, my dude is just an op now, and that's incredibly sad given everything about his career and musical tastes. Uh, Tom DeLonge is just a funny human being. You know, you telling you telling me that he's not in QAnon makes me more, like, comfortable just laughing about him because it's just like a comedy bit, basically, at this point. Tom DeLonge is the dumb guy yin to Joe Rogan's dumb guy yang. Yeah. <laughs> I <guess>. <sighs> <sighs> wonder what Tom DeLonge thinks about trans people in sports. You know, I feel like he would probably just go, that's cool, because that's a whole thing that he would never consider. <laughs> that's fair. Shall we talk about Tiny Voices? Yes.
this has my favorite genius said it best line of the album. No. Where the song is simply described as it's about voices in his head. <laughs> and the voice is tiny. That's it. That's the whole sentence, no period. It's about voices in his head. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, This is another one of the songs where it's just like, wow, yeah, this is more of a post-hardcore song. Decent guitar works. The I like Travis Barker drumming. And then, you know, you have... Tom DeLonge whiny melody and like the sappy bridge and it's just like sort of breaks the song for me. Like I was like, oh, I like the guitar and drums on this one. And I'm using new headphones now, so I'm not sure if it was my headphones or if the song was actually mixed weird, but this was the only track I had a problem with it where it was like, huh, like I can't really hear what the singer too well. And then I was like, actually, you know what? That's probably a good thing. This album is super mixed weird. I listened to it on two different audio sources, and it definitely has times where nothing gels. Yeah, the guitar sometimes is very loud. I I don't know if it's... I feel this is Tom DeLonge going to Jerry Finn and being like, give me that Fugazi mixing, and this is what they came up with, which sometimes the guitar just overwhelms everything for some reason. But like I said, I mean... On on an on a normal day, the guitar overpowering the vocals, I'd be like, "Hmm, no thanks." But like, it's covering up Tom DeLonge, so like, you know, I'm not gonna complain too much. And also, the second verse in this being a bizarre spoken word sequence is one of the three strangest choices on the album to me. Oh my god, I fucking hated the, like, voices in the background. Okay, I need the, I need the top three now, though. Yeah, um, the second part is, what is this for, ex-parking lot? The dreamers go by, they never stop. Twenty plus five in, yet the youth cave in. <laughs> and then it just goes back to him screaming about tiny voices being terrible. It's mm-hmm. so weird. Hold me closer, tiny voices. God, I wish. Um, you, you wanted my top three. Number two was definitely the fact where he started doing Bob Dylan's delivery on Cat Like Thief. I didn't know what the point of that was when he immediately... Are you talking about the the other singer on Cat Like Thief? Yeah, just the opening being just very spoken word, kind of talking like this. It sounds like there should be that's a twang a, beat. That's a rancid singer. Yeah, but it's still Mm -hmm. bizarre. That is fair. (laughs) And then where is the other note? Because the third instrumental, instrumental just as a whole, sounds like a tech demo for different instruments that we assembled as a closer. Uh, Tiny Voices. It's another one of the songs on this record, which are sort of all the same in that the guitar is doing something nice, the drums are doing something nice, then Tom DeLonge comes in, sang, sings some really sappy melody with a very whiny noise, voice, and then uh, um, there's a melodic bridge with some piano, if I remember correctly, and uh, I don't like that. Yeah, it, it... Again, it's that part where we have the the piano and the little spoken word bit just in the center of the song. It's a strange breakdown. Yeah. And then there's Cat Like Thief. I found down again 
Then there's Cat Like Thief, which has two more talented people who cannot redeem this. <laughs> yeah, it features... Um, Jordan it features... Pundick and Tim Armstrong. Yeah, Tim Armstrong of Rancid is singing the verses, and Jordan Pundick is almost inaudibly like uh, harmonizing on the chorus. You need to listen to the song about four times before you can catch that on it. I'm not listening um, to it four times. I'm sorry. As I said, the first verse is just Tim Armstrong doing this weird spoken word bit because he sings on the rest of the track when he sings. Mm-hmm. It's it's real odd. And this okay. This is the most egregious track on the album for me with the same beat repeats every 12 seconds over and over the whole time. Yeah, they, I feel like they tried to focus really on the songwriting and the voices here, and that was a terrible idea. But I also sort of like enjoyed this to a point just because it was different because of uh, Rancid Singer's voice, which is way grittier. It's like this weird, like gravelly like singer songwritery almost voice like which is different it's not like the most pleasant things ever but it has personality and the personality is not whatever Tom DeLonge is doing so I don't know I think this was enjoyable just as a different thing but I get your point that this is way more of a it's way more of a let's focus on the singer's song and the instrumentation is just doing nothing I full-on thought that Spotify had done something fucky and, like, put on a different album in the middle of listening to the Boxcar Racer album. Like, I was like, what? I mean, this sounds good. It's interesting. Maybe not my personal cup of tea, but it's way better than what I've been listening to. And then Tom DeLonge comes in, I guess. And then Tom DeLonge came in. I was like, oh, there it is. Never mind. It's so weird because, especially, I couldn't find a lot about how this track came together. There's two tracks on the album that have guests. This is one of them. The other is just clearly a bone thrown to Hoppus. I have to wonder, did he write this expecting he would sing it all himself? Did he somehow collaborate with the others on this and this was a mutual development? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Jordan Patnick does almost nothing on this track. Again, he just like sings the harmony on the chorus a bit. So, I don't know. Yeah, he sounds like he was just like passing by the studio and was like, "Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah," which is a shame. He's a better singer than Tom DeLonge. <laughs> Both men guesting on this track are excellent vocalists. Yeah. <laughs> 
Especially when you put them near Tom the Lounge with like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Any any singer within like a 30 foot radius of Tom DeLonge uh gets like a plus ten modifier to their performance roles. <laughs> yeah, like them hanging out with Tom DeLonge is like me hanging out with Adam so I seem tall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. And I That's a track. That's what I think every single time I read and or see the title of that track. And I, it's just like an inherently funny title to me because it's just so cut off. It's just so weird. And I what? It also has another genius, brilliant annotation. This song is about a relationship that you're not sure of. It depicts growing apart from the one you love to in the end lie to yourself that you still love them when you don't. the genius needs therapy what do you think i think the only person who left annotations on this album might be a little something i am not sure if you all are familiar with the rooting ready run series of sketch which is called david spokesman if you're not go watch it on youtube listeners which is just like a tv like local tv presenter character that talks very weird and all of this genius annotation seems like they've been written by that character. These do have some, yeah, local TV Tim and Eric energy. But yeah, and I have some cool drums. Again, I like Travis Barker. Like, it's not, you know, I would not call it, like, Fugazi, but it's trying something different, at least. It's not, you know, it's still sort of in the pop-punk area, drum-wise, but it's trying some different beats, some different way of playing stuff. And, um, yeah, this is the most blank song on the record. Like, the guitar is a bit muddier, a bit more distorted, but the riff that it does at the beginning is basically a Blink-182 riff. Hmm. The song has a bit more of a Blink vibe, and uh, I enjoy this to an extent, just because it sounds like Blink, and I like Blink. It's... One of the most interesting on the record for me, like, this is probably in my top three tracks, but I think that's because this is the one that has the most instrumental work on it for a long while that doesn't feel unfinished. Oh, that's fair. And also, um, there's nothing here vocally. Lyrically, vocally, there's nothing to talk about. This girl took advantage of me. I think that sucks. It turns out that I'm still bitter. I'm really angry at her. That's the that's the lyrics. 
Yeah. yeah. Remember when I said that, like, the Blink records have way more, like, sad tracks that you remember? And, like, that makes them sort of worse than you remember? This record is just that. It's just, like, the, the sort of Tom launch being sad. And, eh. I preferred him when he talked about diarrhea, to be honest. It at least had some charm. Well, okay, it didn't have some charm. It at least had some color. Wait, no, that's a way worse thing to say about diarrhea. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. So, this song, I was like, oh, you know what? I like how long the intro is. It's nice to not have to listen to the singing for a bit. And then I kept listening to it, and I was like, ah, this song is kind of boring, though. Let us talk about Letters to God. It's another example of uh, Tom DeLonge not being a very good songwriter. Okay, reminder, the working title for this track was Maybe I Don't. <laughs> Which they repeat a lot on the song, so, you know. But it's Maybe I Don't Want to Go, as in Can I Not Die? <laughs> yeah, I hate... Again, Tom DeLonge, like, trying to do, like, the serious song about someone who's on the brink of death and not wanting to die, and, uh... It's just silly, because the chorus is like, maybe I don't want to go. <laughs> Which yeah. is, like, so not committal, and so, like, devoid of any pathos. I still think the best is begging God, can't you wait? This has, like, student film vibes. Like, the, the, the film student with the big, high-concept idea that doesn't really know how to execute it. When you can't pull off... The concept of not being dead, not getting sucked up to heaven prematurely, as good as Heaven Can Wait, the film that Chris Rock remade in the 2000s to be about a black stand-up portrayed by a rich white guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know that film. Okay, so the short version is... Guy dies, but he's not supposed to be dead yet, so St. Peter's like, alright, look, we're gonna give you a new body temporarily to make up for this so you can finish out your life, and a rich guy just died alone in his place, so you will get put in his body temporarily until we get you a new one. Okay. And so, Chris Rock, who is basically playing Chris Rock, is, to everyone around him, Basically, what if Warren Buffett just started walking around trying to do Chris Rock's routine at the fucking Apollo? <laughs> and that's okay. the that's the joke of the movie until in the end he like gets a new body made for him and just like resumes his life. No, oh, can I can I also have a, a new body made for me? That sounds fun. Dibs. Uh, 
<laughs> First, you have to get run down by the isekai truck, and then you have to spend it as an old white guy for a few weeks. I already have the joints of an old white guy. Might as well go full hog. Um, this is where the record starts falling apart for me, because everything from here until very close to the end, I think about there is, with being the only exception, um, just feels like you didn't finish the track. You laid out guitar here, drum here, guitar here, but there's very sparse lyrics now. There's a lot more instrumental breaks throughout the whole tracks, and they get very short. Like the next track, which is just one minute long, and it's called My First Punk Song. Trans song, trans song, trans song. That's funny because I hate this song so much. <laughs> You're only saying that because of a single line. I am only saying that this because of a single line. <laughs> I do like this one because it is barely a minute and it has actual energy and it sounds so distinct. And yes, I did laugh at the final line being a screamed, I got no dick. Mm -hmm. Um, so, this is like a really short, really fast punk song, and this demonstrates that, you know, Tom DeLonge isn't a hopeless cause. If he's singing, like, harsher punk lyric, when you can barely, like, understand what he's saying and, like, discern his voice from the instruments, his voice is bearable. I didn't have any problem with his singing here because it's not trying to do, like, an emotional melodic melody thing. And, uh, and yeah, I think it's fine. Like, the whiny, nasally quality of his voice is fine when he does harsher stuff. It's just that he's not made to sing ballads or emo song or slow songs, you know. Also, the lyrics on this one are him making fun of himself in a way that I kind of think owns. What is with these bands that keep coming with their politics? They never went to school to find out they were full of shit. <laughs> with the first half of this record, <laughs> screaming that out angrily is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's that self-aware, though. I'm. He feels like one of those guys when you ask him about if he puts politics in his music, he says no. Like, oh, I just put what I think of the word. No, based based on the quotes I found, he definitely thinks he's doing politics. This is making fun of himself. Okay, okay, that's better then. Yeah, I think this one is very self-aware. So I hate this song, and I will tell you why. I cannot fucking stand it when songs open with the fucking mic feedback screeching noises. Anything that does that is automatically on my shit list. <laughs> Can I close my first punk song with another beautiful annotation? Yes. Sure. Genius said it best. There's a single annotation on this song for the line, I got no dick. If you click it, 
it will tell you his penile member is unaccounted for. That is an excellent joke. <laughs> yes. Oh, this is the best track on this record. Uh, now let's drown our sorrow in sorrow. Bad Religion did this better. Well, isn't that true of most things, though? That's true. But this one is, again, it's three minutes and 30 seconds, and it basically is ten sentences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my, my, note, my notes on this one are, bro, you should go to therapy, maybe. <laughs> and... <laughs> It's slow and boring. Blah, blah, blah. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, this is where my notes start becoming really, like, sparse and, like, not many of them. Because this is, at this point, the record sort of stops being interesting. Like, I just noted down, okay, there's a cute guitar bit in Sorrow. The drum outro is sort of awkward, but it's trying something new. But I don't know, I don't have a lot to say about this song as a whole. It's just another The Launch song. And The Launch, again, sort of writes the same song over and over again, melodically at least. A couple weeks back, it was, I think, the Get Up Kids, where the final track was just three different outros all spliced together, right? It was either them or something corporate. I think you're thinking about something corporate. Yeah, either way. A lot of the tracks on this part of the album feel like they would have been mashed up as that final bonus track on the Something Corporate album. They're they're not there. They don't exist. Yeah, yeah. And this is the part where I asked myself in the notes, was this worth breaking up your band over? Did you ask yourself, how did I get here? <laughs> oh, yeah, I wish this had... The just if this had the weirdness and the charm of a David Byrne. Hell, you know something? I would take, disaster that it is, the Tom Tom Club over Boxcar Racer. <laughs> yeah. Noted. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's nothing to this though. It's we're just into xylophone on a ribcage tracks. <laughs> Honestly, I think that would be more fun, more entertaining. Yeah. Now, here's the only full song that exists on the back half of this album. There is.
I hate there is because it's acoustic guitar. And as I established, like, Tom DeLonge doesn't do well with softer songs because his voice is sort of antithetical to that kind of emotion. And if you pair him with a soft acoustic guitar, uh, I'm gonna have a very bad time. And I did have a very bad time with the song. Now Sibyl is gonna tell us that this is her favorite track of the record, so... No, no, Lord, no. Um, I wrote down that this was a deconstructed ballad, and then halfway through the song I went... Is it deconstructed if you never finished constructing it? <laughs> that is an excellent joke. I appreciate that. I liked the drums. Mm-hmm. And I liked the fact that the intro was nice and long. It's about 35 seconds long, um, where there's no singing. Um, but it was kind of putting me to sleep, too, and that's saying something, because I love uh, acoustic guitar. Um, but I've got to bring it to everyone's attention that this was the most streamed song on the album on Spotify, beating I Feel So by about 13 million streams. I can believe that. We know that the general public and radios do love the slow, shitty song, and this is definitely slow, and this is definitely shitty, so, meh. I think that, of the two, There Is is the kind of thing that I will think of more if I think of a boxcar racer track just because, as you said, Adam, I Feel So seems like a very low-key Blink-182 single. This sounds different. Mm-hmm. Also, especially if you were growing up and heard this album, this is probably the one that would be your... Here, this is Tom DeLonge's good riddance time of your life. <laughs> it is! If you were in high school, this is the thing you petitioned to be the theme of your prom, but you were going off to graduate. I mean, they played good riddance at my graduation. <laughs> yeah, I th- I don't think we're ever getting away from that one. I-, I do love that there is the mention of this being, hey, I wrote this all on painkillers. And I did learn from this that apparently that would go on to influence him and cause an addiction on angels and airwaves. So, my dude had Vicodin problems, and he was no house. Also, the video. As far as wet videos in reverse go, it's no Bjork. comes next and it's um another breakup song i sort of like this one this has some more energy there's uh, again this is heavier on the instrumentation again there's like some heavy guitar heavy drums they're sort of distancing themselves from the pop punk sound here and they have a heavier sound again i would not call it post hardcore i would not call it fugazi but it's heavier and um you still get the cheesy melodic chorus but this is one of those tracks where it's sort of mixed weirdly and the instrumentation sort of drowns everything. And like, <laughs> you know, it has a fun bridge. It drowns everything in noise. Eh, it's enjoyable. <laughs> That's funny. This is the track where I like 
lost my patience with this album completely. My only notes on this song are, God, this is just so boring. What is the point? And that's it. That's all I got. I have also almost a track. <laughs> I don't know. This this and there is feel more together than a lot of this back half, but this one is falling apart way more to me. I like the sound of this. I don't know if as a you know composed track it was that good, but it sounded nice in parts. Sounded heavy. Sounded a bit different. And with that, we go on to uh, probably one that I think we're all going to enjoy: Elevator. I don't know. It has strings on it. Um, I don't have much else to say about it. Okay, so this is the track that Mark Hoppus got thrown a bone on, and he got to do vocals in. I like Mark Hoppus. He sings better than Tom DeLonge. That's exactly it. After all of this record, you really appreciate Mark Hoppus's voice. Right? I was like, I liked the guitar and the drums at first, and I was like, oh, Mark Hoppus. Nice. Um, and I liked the strings, but, um, the fact that the drums just got real repetitive and then it just went back and forth and back and forth for, like, the back half of the song was like, oh, it could have been good. So, the incredibly dark part of this is that it is the two of them basically performing a play before they just start chanting the final bit at each other back and forth. Tom DeLonge is leaping off the World Trade Center building because he can't get through the fire. Mark Hoppus watches the thing hit the building and then the guy jump and he turns away. The and fuck? then all of them chant, let's forget this, I'll move on. What? It? Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna forget this and move on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, DeLong, uh, the sunset stretched across this nighttime scene. I counted people as I neared the street below. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, Hoppus, the sunset stretched across this nighttime scene. I turned away as he came near the street below. Whoa, 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 below. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And then they just start repeating, let's forget this, I'll move on back and forth. So the elevator is literally leaping off of the World Trade Center. I I like this even less now. And then after this is instrumental, which is, um, 
it, it just sounds like a tech demo for instruments, like someone's messing around with their first Casio keyboard, except someone's playing these. Yeah, it's just a bunch of instrumental parts, and uh, I don't think it's terrible. It doesn't have Tom DeLonge in it, so I'm not going to complain. Yep. Again, this feels like it would have been a bonus track on an album that was fully fleshed out, but no one cared enough to hide it. Yeah. I mean... The thing about this is that even though this record was comparatively pretty short um, and it wasn't fleshed out and it kind of dragged. So, you know, I get to the, the instrumental and I'm like, you know what? Like, this is literally like just not bad. It's just some instruments doing some demo stuff. But the record was long enough that I'm like, you know, we could have just not had this track here. Like, there's no like no reason to have it. It's not doing anything other than padding it in the most minimal way possible. But the thing is, this this record would have been sub forty minutes without it. So I get why. But it feels like it went on for hours. <laughs> it's incredibly hard to state, if none of you have listened to this, how little this feels finished this is kicking the thing out the door for q3 because you just need a return on investment and maybe you'll patch the track later like kanye (laughs) remember when he did that twice i do i mean it doesn't surprise me kanye's career that makes me sad oh yeah on a lot of levels yeah are done with the only boxcar racer album what are your thoughts thank god (laughs) yeah i just like i liked i feel so i was like oh i remember this song a little bit of nostalgia i'm optimistic and then i just had that optimism stripped away layer by layer like garlic (laughs) um and uh junior what? Garlic Jr.? I. What? Oh, Dragon Ball. Yeah. Okay. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, oh, that's why I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Like Garlic Jr. Um, and it's just like, at like, it's like you said, Sybil, it's like, was this worth breaking up Blink-182 for? Because, I mean, there are like, Maybe three songs tops that I would ever willingly listen to again. Um, Interestingly enough, there uh, on that note, there was talk and it never came about that Barker wanted to remix a bunch of songs on this for an EP and do a re-release with two new tracks. But because everything started falling apart, that never came about. I would have liked to hear Barker's remixes of these tracks. I mean, considering that the drums and the guitar are, like, the good parts of this, 
yeah, let's see what Barker can do with that. <laughs> well, especially with hindsight, Travis Barker seems to be the person in this band who had a lot of very good collaborative creative energy without having an ego to match. Yeah. There's really nothing Travis Barker is on that he does not add to somehow. Mm -hmm. It's just so strange that nothing about this, it's not completely dire. It's not awful. It's questionable. Nothing about this is completely like, oh God, how would you do this? We've had songs like that. We've had Sugar Cults. We've had some of the other bands who are just incredibly offensive to the senses. This just seems ill-conceived on so many levels. And especially with the consequences thereof, you could have just let your buddy come along and done a side project while you're healed. Yeah. So I do not like this record. I don't think it's awful, but I don't like it. So here's a list of better side projects from people who are doing other things. You could listen to Go by John C., the guy from Sigaroth, which is a wonderful dream pop record. You can listen to Pop Songs 2020 by Bumper, which is a, a band made by uh, the guy from Crying and, uh, and Michelle Zauner from Japanese Breakfast, and it's a great EP of pop songs. You could listen to the solo album by Courtney Swain, Between the Blood of Ocean. She's from um, Bent Knee, and it's like just great art pop stuff. You could listen to the new rec to the new project by the Dear Hunter guy, Honorary Astronaut, which is just an EP of psychedelic songs. You can listen to the guitar player from Periphery somehow managing to make a good record by just mimicking the Dear Hunter somehow and the, the Ritual by King Mothership. You can listen to Laura Marling getting really weird with Lamp by Lamp, which is just cool, weird folk. You can listen to the guy from That uh, Cab for Cutie somehow making pleasant music in the postal service. It happened once, the album was give up, and somehow it's better than the post That Cab. You can listen to the guitar player from Explosions in the Sky on Inventions with Maze of Wood doing like a great ambient record. You can listen to the guy from the RX Bandit in The Sound of Animals Fighting doing a great third record with the ocean and the sun after two sort of noisy records that didn't quite work. Or you can listen, and we talk about the... We talk about them. They Might Be Giant a lot, but John Linnell from They Might Be Giant did a solo record. It's stage song. It's fine. Uh, all of these records are better than Boxcar Racer, and I'm sure there are more side projects that were fairly really good. And uh, and this is my thought on it. This is not it. This will not get into this list. So, yeah. going to wrench control of this back for you and from you and give us the aftermath of Boxcar Racer. Uh, DeLong 
officially killed the project in mid-2003, saying that it had, quote, run its course. But also there was talk about uh, the feelings that it created between Hoppus and himself were why they were never going to come back to this. But the whole thing is also credited with why the next Blink-182 album, Blink-182, is so different from their prior ones. Boxcar Racer and all of the fallout from that leads them to experiment more. Unfortunately, uh, Hoppus was pissed. Hoppus very openly said he took it personally, it sucked, he wanted to participate, but they basically slammed a door in his face, and a few journalists who were doing interviews before that next album were saying, yeah, um, anytime we mention it or we get told not to mention it because it's clearly still something that's between these three men, it's just great. Um, everything will collapse the band Blink-182 in late 2004 and they will break up in 2005. But the whole thing leads to a variety of different stories in the wake of that breakup. And DeLong would refer to it, after that all collapsed, as it was the greatest and worst thing for Blink. He thought Blink-182, the 2003 record, was a masterpiece, but it's also the worst thing because it killed the band. And this is the quote that I mentioned earlier. It was a totally benign thing on my part, because I only asked Travis to play drums because I didn't want to pay for a studio drummer. It wasn't meant to be a real band. Now, it was so not meant to be a real band that there were unused songs for Boxcar Racer, which become part of DeLong's next band, Angels and Airwaves. Angels and Airwaves will cover Boxcar Racer songs on tour, and they write a sequel to a song on this album and one of their later albums, Letters to God Part 2 on the 2010 album Love. So, after all this, the whole thing goes, and in the past five years, there have been a lot of stirrings that, hey, maybe, uh, maybe despite me making Boxcar Racer 2 in AOA, then... We're just going to do more Boxcar. Now we can reboot Boxcar Racer 1. Reboots are very popular these days. It's going to be live action and everything. <laughs> oh, they're going to replace Tom DeLonge with a real person? Uh, in the end of 2020, Barker started mentioning, hey, yeah, 2021, 20th anniversary of that band. And the two of them kind of bantered a little. And about a month ago, a podcast had an interview with DeLong where he said, yeah, we recently recorded a new Boxcar Racer track. We haven't decided to release it, but there is one. But we plan to put it out. We just don't know what else, if anything, that's going to come to. So Boxcar Racer exists again in some form. Are they a real band this time? I don't think we have any single amount of lineup for it other than he and Barker recorded a song. So it might just be the two of them doing a jam band. I don't know. That's kind of what it already was. 
And yeah, and that is the story of Boxcar Racer. We will cover the next record by Blink eventually, and then we will cover one single record by Angel and Airwaves. I hate Angel and Airwaves. I choose the one with the highest rating, so at least we're gonna try to be fair to it, but I'm not listening to like whatever five or six records they made. So on our spreadsheet, currently there's only one record by Angel and Airwaves. It is I Empire, if you're curious. Mm-hmm. And you cannot change my mind. Uh, what is next week, Sibyl? Next week, we are going to be covering the final album by rock band Homegrown, released on Drive Through Records, Kings of Pop. Same song, different chorus. This was the episode. You can find us at getoutofthistown.com, our wonderful website filled with riches and wonders and just, you know, I didn't have a mountain goats reference so far, and I, by mistake, I just made one. Um, getoutofthistownpodcast at gmail.com is our email. You can email us to tell us good thing. We're, you can also add us on Twitter at ggootpodcast. And we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Play, and we are on those platforms, rate and reviewable. Sebel, do you want to read the latest review that we've got on our podcast? You, you, did, you, you did promise that you would read every review that we got on our iTunes, so, or Google, uh, Apple Podcast, whatever it's called now. I absolutely will. From Furfialo. Five stars. Excellent for fans of the subject matter. Five episodes in and I'm enjoying this podcast. The hosts have a good, if not exactly compelling, dynamic. What carries the show is an earnest and critical discussion of the music and the hosts' relationships to it. I will say this. Thank you. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And if you started if you started with our first five episodes, please skip ahead to an album you like. We gel better as we go on. Uh, and if you start, if you, if you listen to the to the latest ones, uh, I'm sorry, you stuck with this. <laughs> but no, thank you. Uh, it's really appreciated. The five star help as always, and uh, we enjoy receiving feedback on the things we do because so we know that we do not exist in a void in the universe where we only exist. That sentence came up weird. Never mind. Um, yeah, next up is homegrown. Who cares? <clears throat> we also have and, a uh, potential Sibyl. bonus we can threaten them with. We just haven't scheduled it. Are you talking about the offspring? I record? am. Mm. <laughs> I'm up for that. I I'm up for that. I'm up we for it, s- but I'll complain. <laughs> We're all going to complain. We've all heard some of the new singles <laughs> on the offspring's new record. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I've heard one single, and that, I feel, is enough for a lifetime, but we could do that. I haven't heard Anyhow. any of them, because I like myself too much. I don't. <laughs> uh, so, Sybil, do you have anything to plug this week? You can find me at my website, hellscaper.com. Adam, do you have anything to plug at all? Um, well, you know, 
the hose out back sprung a leak recently, so I should probably plug that sometime soon. But uh, other than that, I don't think so. And as always, you can find me at ACC the Moon on Twitter. And if you want to support us, we do not have a Patreon. But please help me come up with jokes that are not just Simpson references. Because I had like a whole joke about, you know, us making a spin-off podcast named the No Adam Club. And then there was like another host named Adam, but it wasn't our Adam. And then I realized this would be like the fucking... Tenth Simpson reference that I would use as a joke for ending the podcast. So help me break away from this cycle of toxicity if you want to support us. Have a good night. <laughs> bye bye. Good night. No point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify.